Hello, and welcome to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph. And I'm Ashley Wakefield. And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church. And back with me in the studio again is Ashley Wakefield. Hello. Hey, Ashley. We've been working through the book of Isaiah, chapter by chapter, and we've been making it now to chapter 49, which, if you've been tuning in last week, was uh, uh, the first, is well, basically, is the first chapter in a new section as we're working through this section of chapter 40 through 55. Um, chapter 48 is kind of the middle chapter of this entire section. And we got to talk about a lot of cool things involving God's heart, involving that, and even a little hint of Jesus, um, who is to come in the future, which was fun to talk about as well. Um, this week, we are talking more about that servant. This is uh, this whole first section of 49 is really focusing on that servant in particular. Once again, uh, it's kind of uh, a multiple meanings all at once. Uh, in this particular passage, the servant here is um, both Israel and Jesus, and there's a lot of things to talk about with that that we'll get into, but um, it's a really cool section up at the front um, where we actually get some uh, particular um, mentions of um, this servant and his voice and what he sees himself as. And um, verse two in particular actually gets used uh, in Revelation eventually to describe Jesus, uh, which is kind of fun too. So we'll talk about yeah. that. But uh, oh, did you have something? Else? Oh, I was just going to say something about verse two, something interesting mm-hmm. I found, but uh, I didn't know if you wanted me to say it now. But um, but I like the idea that in that verse it talks about um, the mouth being a sharp sword, that mouth in in the edge like the edge of a sword are actually kind of synonymous with one another and so like when you look at it like in the in the hebrew like when you look at the definition of mouth it also uses it as like an edge of a sword and interesting so, yeah so i thought that was interesting how and i know that it was i was sort of looking at a commentary about this how like you know like a king like when he speaks and he decrees something like that in itself is like a weapon like he doesn't have to fight when he's speaking to his nation to his people anyway he's speaking something that's going to be taken care of just because of his authority and so i think of kind of like what god is saying that his mouth what he's saying out of his mouth is going to be done because of his authority and so like that that is his weapon and so it kind of reminds me of the weapon that even jesus uses the weapon that we're allowed to use because of the power of our words you know so. that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> yeah uh that's a great place to start us off into this uh chapter so you got a lot to look forward to with this chapter in particular um i will let you know also that we kind of take a break from the servant after verse um seven actually um and we get a, a new kind of section at the very tail in that's more God talking to the people of Israel in particular, which is a really cool, comforting section overall. Um, there's a lot of compassion in there, way less judgment, uh, honestly, uh, in this chapter. Um, God, uh, the trial is over. We finished up with the trial in chapter 48. So now is a time for God to really announce to um, the people of Israel that um, 
he is going to send someone who will be this um, victor for him and he will look over them. And that's really what we're looking at with this entire chapter is new things are about to happen. And even though Israel has kind of forsaken them and abandoned them, uh, abandoned God, um, God is still not done with them and he's going to love them. And it's a great, ep- uh, great chapter of just uh, showing God's faithfulness and love in this whole situation. So uh, let's, without further ado, unless Ashley, you had anything else, let's go ahead and jump into this. No, that's it. All right, here we go. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who has despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up, princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor I will answer you, and in the day of salvation I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. Though you were ruined and made desolate, and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. 
Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. All right, so this chapter starts out with an addressing to the islands and the distant nations, um, which, if you remember from way back in the start of the whole thing, that's uh, kind of linking this chapter with the beginnings of chapters 40 and 41, where the whole trial section of Isaiah started out that same way, with the addressing to everyone around Israel, essentially. Um, but we take a different take here. Instead of it being a trial, this is actually uh, the voice of the servant that got mentioned a little bit in um, 48. And uh, we get to see kind of his perspective on what the Lord is doing with him and what he's going to do for Israel. And uh, honestly, a little bit of how he is Israel as well, which is kind of fun and confusing to talk about, but it's still really cool. So um, we kind of uh, open up to this um, with his like, call of how he, before he was born the lord called me um uh, from my mother's womb he has spoken my name that's typical of a lot of like prophets usually get this kind of opening beginning um if you go to um uh, the opening of jeremiah you'll see that this kind of is uh the same type of opening that jeremiah gets for instance and then we have verse two which we've kind of already talked about and how um uh, he's equating himself with a mouth that has a sharpened sword. And this is still kind of in that vein of prophetic. He's, you know, speaking things that are prophetic. Um, in verse three, uh, it says, he said to me that he being God, you are my servant. But then right after it, it says Israel. So we know the servant is Israel, but also well, there'll be some things where this gets related to in the new Testament to Jesus. So, um, this is where it's a both end kind of here in whom I display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. So this first whole opening section is kind of recounting the failure of Israel in some sense, but also kind of uh, recounting the future of how Jesus is going to labor in vain to try and convert the people around him, and a lot of them resist him. Uh, and so we kind of, again, have this duality of meanings here, which is kind of cool. Uh, and so yet what's interesting is that um, the Lord owes him something, um, mm -hmm. and this is both in Israel's sense and in um, Jesus' sense. For uh, Israel's story, at least, while they have been unfaithful, God did promise that they'd always um, be beloved by him and that they'd always uh, live in the city of Jerusalem, and that's not the case right now. So and from Israel's perspective, they're due something from the Lord's hand. Um, from Jesus' perspective, uh, Jesus has been faithful to the covenant, and uh, the Lord promises that anybody faithful to the covenant will be blessed and have things given to him and uh, always be in favor with the Lord. So 
it's kind of again this duality which you just kind of have to take as we work through this whole passage yeah that kind of reminds me of i guess the concept of reward i guess human beings now is that we want to see reward now and Mm -hmm. i guess it kind of reminds me that sometimes rewards are heavenly not to say that they all are but it kind of reminds me i think i brought this up like a long time ago but like it reminds me of a conversation that me and another student had with our professor about rewards and in heaven and then you know it's like well how come this section of this book we're reading doesn't talk about those things those rewards we get in heaven and then it talked about and then he brought up the issue of okay well being with god in itself is its own reward you know and so it kind of reminds me of that the idea that when you are with god that in itself is a reward mm, you know yeah yeah, so. yeah that's great um it's interesting here as we have this uh, break and then in verse 5 it kind of begins a new thought from here on out we kind of lose that idea of the duality and now we're only really talking about Jesus and you'll see why in a second because in verse 5 it talks about how and now the Lord says to me uh, or says he who formed me in the womb to be a servant so it's relating the uh, verse up above with this one to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. So it's weird now because it's no longer Israel and Jacob because now this servant is the thing that's going to bring Jacob and Israel back to himself. Um, we have this promise here in this verse. Um, so again, for Christians, this is uh, a Jesus verse basically. Um, and we get to see how he feels about it for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, Uh, He being God, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is a powerhouse verse that gets used in Acts and all over the New Testament. It's a big, important uh, part. Um, We just finished uh, doing a whole, uh, almost an hour and a half of teaching on this in in the book of Acts recently. So um, this is uh, kind of fresh in my mind right now. But um, one of the points that I bring home a lot is that um, the Old Testament spoke of the Gentiles being um, brought into the family of God way before the New Testament. It wasn't a New Testament idea. This was uh, even back to Abraham. Abraham was supposed to be a light to the nations, mm-hmm. and the nations would have been the Gentile nations. And that's the whole point of Israel in the first place, was they were supposed to be that people that brought a light. So they have messed up, so we need the servant who is Israel, but also isn't Israel because Israel's broken. <laughs> and this this new Israel, this new person is going to bring Israel back to himself. But then because of doing that, that's going to then have a domino effect that brings all the Gentile nations back um, to God. So it's going to be a wonderful thing where the entire world basically gets to be brought back to God, which yeah. is a great prophecy. Um for us, because it's already happened, um, for them, uh, this will take years and years to have happen. Yeah, and I love how like God just loves a good challenge, <laughs> like in that, because it kind of reminds me of that quote that I was reading out there in the wall. And I may be misreading this quote, but it's like the idea that if you have the capacity to do it, then it's too small. And I feel like that God is like it's a really big thing to restore the tribes of Israel, but even that is too small. I'm going to take it a step further and grab Gentiles into this whole situation. Right, <laughs> and, right, so, yeah. and it kind of reminds me of the challenges that God brings into our lives where you feel like, I can't handle this, I can't do this. And it's like, well, you know, God is allowing that to happen because he wants to show his glory because you are too small to do it. But Well, and that's the whole point of the next verse. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you 
and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So it's basically like relishing in that power of God. And uh, this servant is going to have everyone in the world bow down to him, which is a very cool prophecy, um, something that uh, definitely happens. Uh, one day it'll soon uh, – well, let me put it this way. It happened, but will also happen, as, as uh, is most of the time with biblical prophecies. Um, it kind of happened at the cross in a weird way where he was enthroned. And yeah, while everybody was thinking that this was his death, it was actually his victory and his lordship begins in that moment um, where everybody then basically has to bow the knee and is put with that choice. Mm-hmm. And then eventually one day he will come back a second time and that will be the full everyone's bowing down to him mm-hmm. moment. So it's kind of a both and again in terms of how that prophecy plays itself out. We then have a break. Um, and this is the new section where we kind of drop the servant idea for a little bit. Um, we've got enough of him now to kind of have a good idea of what's going to happen. But, um, now God is going to sit in still the relationship that he's had with Israel, still the fact that Israel is very dejected right now. They're very broken people and they feel like God has abandoned them. And so this whole section is really God pouring out his heart to that people and promising them that he's not abandoned them and what that's going to look like, how his favor is still going to rest on them, which is really cool um, because they kind of don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. They don't really deserve this whole, whole, uh, uh, Thing, but God has promised that he's going to be faithful to them. And when he makes a promise, he always keeps it. Um, so this whole section, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. Remember, it's uh, all kind of aligned with a specific day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like going to happen right now, apparently, but it's definitely going to come on a day. And that's what they have to look forward to. And that's what uh, a lot of these people reading this would have kept in mind as a, an eventual hopeful fulfillment of these passages. Um, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. That's kind of reiterating what he said to Abraham, which is kind of interesting. It's almost like reestablishing the rules that they failed basically it's almost like restart you know p- playing the uno reverse card basically <laughs> uno reverse. <laughs> uh, and it's kind of this moment um and what's interesting is he's going to restore the land too and to reassign reassign its desolate inheritances because remember these people are in uh babylon and they're not in the land that they were promised way back in Abraham's time. And so it's a reiteration of the fact, no, you're going to get your land back and the captives. And most of them are captives in Babylon. They're going to come out and be free, which is a really cool moment that um, they have to look forward to. And this will happen pretty soon. This will, this, this, all of this will happen as a result of Cyrus, who does kind of take um, a part of this servant uh, metaphor on, on himself in a way. Um, they will feed beside roads and find pasture. This is a big section that's really just devoted to, um, there's a lot of sections in the prophetic books that talk about how different parts of the geography um, that were difficult to travel and uh, traverse become easy and life becomes easier basically. And water springs up and life um, is in abundance instead of in scarcity. And um, so this whole section here is really focusing on how things are going to get better. Good times are ahead, you know, and it's not all going to be bad. And um, it's something that they have to look forward to in verse 13. There's the shout for joy and he calls the heavens to do it and the earth to do it and rejoice and burst in song, the mountains. Um, It's this kind of cool moment. And all of this kind of culminates in a moment where we can again, again, kind of shift and it says, for the Lord 
comforts his people and will have a fa- uh, compassion on his afflicted ones. Then there's a break and we switch perspectives to Israel again. And it says, but Zion said, Israel has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So it's all this promise of good things that God's going to do in the future. And then there's this big but. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the but is that um, Zion is really dejected and depressed right now and they think that the lord has abandoned them even though all these good times are to come so then god finishes up this whole chapter with a section on how he hasn't forgotten them Mm -hmm. and what's what's to come and uh, ashley really resonated with this next section i think right yeah i loved that section because i feel like we don't often talk about how much God loves us more than our parents, because I think that's <laughs> almost like an impossible thought to imagine. If you have really good parents who really love you, it's hard to imagine somebody else loving you more than that, because I'm very close to my mother. We're like very close friends. But yeah. just the idea that God is was there for me before she was, because he was forming me in her womb and was aware of who I was before she was even aware of me. And so the idea that like, oh, even if your mother forsakes you, I'm not going to do that to you. And so, and there are some people out there who have had that experience. And so he, God is just like, okay, even if that's what your parents did, I'm not going to do that to do that to you. I'm never going to forget you. And it kind of, I saw a connection between that verse to the beginning of the verses about, you know, even with Isaiah, um, was it Isaiah who was saying, you know, I've done, you know, I've spoken to these people. I'm prophesying to these people. What what am I getting out of this? Basically, I'm paraphrasing it. And so it's like this idea that like, whenever this you know the prophet or the nation is saying oh god has forgotten me what am i get or what am i getting out of all of this god always has a positive response to that so like god is hearing what you're saying and then he was like i understand that you're going through this but this is my positive response to that and i just think that's like a beautiful thing that god was there for us before our parents were even aware of us and whenever we have a troubling situation we feel like how is god is not seeing me we're not getting the rewards that we want we have been forsaken and god is like no I'm not, I'm not forsaken you. I see you, and I have a plan in mind for you. So. Yeah, and the, the language here is all maternal language, which is really cool, yeah. too. It's like this focus on how, uh, you know, a mother, does it ever forget a child and have no compassion on the child that she's born, you know? And I, I love that metaphor because, you know, mothers go through pain mm-hmm. and struggle and awful, awful near-death experiences sometimes yeah. giving birth to a child. And... uh that's kind of been the story of Israel and God, right? It's mm-hmm. like Israel has caused a lot of pain, a lot of hardship to God. And it's kind of been like a birth for God mm-hmm. in a sense. And so the metaphor really holds up here where it's like, even though that's all happened, the births happened, it's been very painful, almost, uh, you know, given God so much grief and pain and yeah. hardship. And yet he's like, can, can, does a mother going through yeah. that situation forget that baby, even though it's caused that much hardship, you know, yeah. like I, that's something that I will, I'll never as a male get that mm-hmm. as a, because like, you know, I'm never going to give birth. <laughs> and so like, like I will never understand the depth of that verse the way a mother will. And uh, I think that that's just something I wanted to point yeah. out here. Not to mention that these people are kind of, like full grown if you want to look at it that way and they're still causing this mother pain yeah <laughs> and so and yeah. god is like even though you guys are full grown and you're still causing me pain i still want to be a mother to you yeah. yeah yeah exactly i think that's the i think that's a really powerful point here um 
And the, there's a little bit of a break, and then in uh, verse nine, he uh, nineteen, sorry, he continues on. Though you were ruined and made desolate, and your land is laid waste, we're kind of refocusing on the land again here. Uh, now you will be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. So there's this cool re- reversal where he's like, everything you see right now and the situation you're in right now is going to be reversed. Like I said, that kind of Uno reverse card, and uh, the Babylonians will be small and devoured, and they will be a people in abundance huge amounts of people Um, what's interesting about this is this is not I take this to mean a couple of things Um, this happens a lot through the growth of the church I think Um, a lot of the uh, like growth of um, Christianity that we see today is kind of living out that like we're, we're the biggest religion in the world <laughs> and like that idea of that promise to the people of Israel is that like we've grown so much that we've like dwarfed almost every other you know nation in that sense like and you can really think of Christianity as a nation in and of itself but there is also a second meaning here which you can give to the people of Israel in that sense that they came back to the land and they did grow they didn't grow to humongous sizes but they did grow and while they were conquered by various different uh, nations they did um, still have the land back and they still got to uh, watch as Babylon crumbled and Persia crumbled and so you can read it both ways in this sense but um, as as a Christian at least I do take a lot of the fulfillment of this is just how successful as a religion Christianity has become which is kind of cool and you get to apply a lot of these verses you know kind of to that which is cool and he talks about specifically again we're we're still focusing in on that maternal kind of metaphor language and so in like verse 20 it's like the children you bore during your bereavement um will yet say in your hearing um uh born yeah will yet say in your hearing this is a place too small for us give us more space to live in yeah they'll start to grow and expand uh then you will say in your heart and i love this bit who bore me these i was bereaved and barren i was exiled and rejected who brought these up i was left and all alone but these, where have they come from? <laughs> so it's almost the, this metaphor of like a mother that suddenly wakes up one day and she has like 12 children <laughs> and she doesn't know where they came from. Like, like <laughs> what, ha- what happened? <laughs> you know? And it's like, I, I didn't like, I was, and not just a mother, but like a mother that was told you can't have any more kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is the, that is the way that this metaphor works. And uh, any mother that's been told that news, you can't have kids. Uh, this 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 will mean a lot more to you, you know, and uh, it's something that you can relate to a lot deeper, as well. Um, at the end, we then have another break where it says, "This is what the Sovereign Lord says." I've probably said this way too many times, but anytime you have kind of like a "This is what God says" um, bit, it's a break and it lets you have a new section in the Scripture. Um, and from this point. Um, he's saying uh, kind of a new thing here. He says, see, I will beckon to the nations, and particularly talking about um, the other Gentile nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms, and they will carry your daughters on their hips. This is kind of cool, because at least at this initial start, it's like almost this like uh, kind of community forming between the two groups. And then kings will be your foster fathers and their queens will be your nursing mothers. They will bow down before your faces to the ground and they will lick the dust at your feet. Again, that's uh, kind of emphasizing just the fact that like, again, the Jews will always have a priority, you know, that's Mm -hmm. never going to go away. And they were always the people chosen by God first. And um, in many ways you could call them the first 
born of God in a way, which is kind of a metaphor that gets carried over into the New Testament with Jesus being both Israel and the firstborn of God in a different way. And so it's really cool. You can you can say that the Gentiles are the second born, you know, and so there is this kind of sense of um, us in some sense, you know, always having to uh, give uh, do what's the right word? Um, give them due treatment, you know, give them the honor that they deserve is that that party that has had a very hard relationship with God, a very um, struggling relationship with God. That's what the name Israel means is one that wrestles with God. They have that history with God that honestly we don't have, you know, and that, that does take priority. Um, And so there's this bit here at the end that I think we can kind of rest in a little bit and just know that like, uh, Paul uses a different metaphor where he says we are branches of a tree that have been grafted in, but we aren't actually like the 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 main branch, so to speak. Um, and it's that idea of always remembering that as we go and to be thankful to the grace of God for allowing us to have this communion communion with the people of Israel and with God, which is kind of cool to bring out. I think it's a good reminder, at least, not to take ourselves too seriously and not to think we're all that (laughs) just because we didn't go through this whole crazy history. That's so struggling. Um, then we have this interesting again, break here in verse 24, can plunder be taken from the warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? This is kind of a a open-ended question because they're in a time period where the Babylonians are those fierce warriors and they're that fierce, um, uh, people that, that, that have captives and, the Lord's going to have the final say and say, yes, that's actually going to happen, even though that seems like an impossibility. Yes, the captives will be taken from the warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. And we end with this really cool uh, moment where these people that have been oppressing Israel, um, he's going to make those oppressors eat their own flesh. Um, Probably this is an indication of like siege and in times of siege, you had to like, uh, you ran out of food, you started eating things that you normally wouldn't eat, and then um, they would be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And it's this like really powerful ending of uh, the Babylonians are going to receive punishment for what they did to Israel, which is kind of a theme through a lot of these chapters. It's just, again, he hasn't given them up, so... Yeah, that's kind of the chapter in a nutshell. Ashley, did you have any thoughts or any of that? No, no. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode, and we will be back in your feed again next week. Thank you so much, guys. Love you all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.